if you've been watching the news at all lately, if you even own a computer or have a TV or listen to the radio, um, I'm sure you've been hearing stories literally every day, different stories about Christians around the world being persecuted for their faith. I've never experienced anything like it, like it's going on right now in the world. The amount of it. I want to talk about this for a minute as a, as a, as a segue into my sermon, as part of my sermon, my introduction. It's nothing new that Christians are persecuted. Nothing new at all. It's been going on um, since that Jesus was the first Christian and he was killed. And he had 12 disciples and 11 of them were killed. And one they tried to kill and they didn't kill, so they banished him to an island. Um, and so nothing new, but the reality is it's getting worse. And so I've been thinking about this recently, and I want to just thinking about the different ways that's happening right now, and I want to go somewhere with it. But I came across just a bunch of stories. I did literally like one entrance on my computer, one search, and it just I couldn't. The amount of stories of Christian persecution is unbelievable. What's going on in the world today? I came across one on a website called World Help, and it's just it's just real because it, I think it identifies what's really going on. And I'm going to share a couple different things, but but this one. And it's, it's written about a lady who's a successful business, a Christian businesswoman. And so it's kind of a narrative. It says, this is the first time we've received, we've received um, from anyone, she gasped, as one of our team members placed an aid package into her outstretched arms. We were at one of the 13 distribution centers near Amman, Jordan, giving out relief supplies to families who had fled over the border. Sensing there was more she needed to share, a few of us paused from our work and gathered around the woman who told us her name was Kadelka, something like that, with tears in her eyes and a palpable sense of heaviness that burdened so many refugees we met. She began to tell us her story. I'm from Krunquash, where I was a businesswoman for 17 years. I was very successful. I had four different enterprises and multiple homes. I worked hard and wanted for nothing. Several times a year, I would travel to Dubai to bring back the latest fashions for my stores. All this time, even when the persecution started getting worse, I was very open about my faith as a Christian. I wore a cross around my neck every day, even though my staff begged me to remove it. We don't want you to die, they would say. And I told them I couldn't hide my faith even if I tried. One morning at 4 a.m., bombs started dropping all around us. My house was struck by bullets again and again. I got in my car with my family and drove, just trying to get out of the city. Normally it would take about an hour, but not this time. Because of all the people running from ISIS, it took 24 hours before we finally got out. Along the way, I saw ISIS doing terrible things. People were shot on the streets. Disabled people were abandoned, left behind to be killed because they couldn't run or move. I even saw soldiers take a four-year-old girl from her mother's lap. Within seconds, the entire Christian community was gone. Eventually, we were stopped by soldiers and our car was taken. We walked the rest of the way to Herbal, where we found a church to stay in temporarily. When we finally made it to my brother-in-law's home, it was far too crowded for us to stay. We sold some of what we had and we fled to Jordan. Now, 11 of us share a tiny rented home. We're, We're sold everything to make rent. The only things left is my wedding band and my granddaughter's earrings. After we sell those, we only have, we were able to stay here about another month. After that, we'll be forced out. My granddaughter cries from hunger every night. My mother is barely alive in a camp in Herbal. 
I used to be the one who helped. Now it is I who must ask for help. My faith has always been strong, but we need help. We need people to help us. That was just one story. Another story that just happened this last week, if you've watched the news at all, was a a situation where 12 Christians were tossed into the Mediterranean Sea by 15 Muslim men, that they were all, I guess, illegally trying to escape North Africa and all the hostility and persecution. There were Christians and Muslims on on a raft, on a boat, and they began, got an argument on the boat about religion, and so 15 of the Muslim men threw 12 of the Christian men into the sea, and they were drowned in the Mediterranean. And they tried to throw all the rest of the Christians in, but they were only able to remain on the boat because it says they formed a human chain, hung on to each other, and held on to the boat until they finally were, were rescued by a ship that was coming by. And, and uh, because one of the men had actually bit one of the Christian men had actually bit one of the men throwing him overboard. They were able to identify that man who was bitten a foot and, and identify the rest of the people in the group. Happening every day. Just a couple of months ago, if you were like me, you watched in horror as Christian men in, who were traveling to another country in order to try to find work were captured and then put in orange jumpsuits. And they were led to the sea and I didn't watch the video, and I'm, I'm kind of hoping none of you did, but the video, I understand, is incredibly graphic, and took knives and, and cut off the heads of every one of the people, of one of the Christian men, simply because they're Christians, by, by Muslim extremists. And these kinds of killings are going on every day against Christians worldwide, especially in the Middle East and in North Africa. And the, author, the New York Times best-selling author, Joel Rosenberg, wrote this. He says, The persecution of Christians is worse than ever. He says we are living in a time of unprecedented persecution of Christians in the Middle East and around the world. The Lord Jesus warned his disciples that they would be persecuted and that the persecution would intensify as the time of his return drew near. Today we are seeing his prophecies come to pass as never before. He goes on to say that according to Voice of the Martyrs, each year 100 million Christians suffer persecution, imprisonment, and death for their beliefs. And according to Voice of the Martyrs, more people have died for their faith in Christ in the last 100 years than in the previous 19 centuries combined. That of the 60 million Christians who have been martyred since Christ's death, 26 million documented cases of martyrs occurred in the 20th century alone. The statistics say that nearly 165,000 Christians are martyred every year. That's one every three minutes. Now, we've been in church for 50 minutes. That's a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Every three minutes, worldwide, another Christian has been killed. Now, here's a question that I want to ask from this. Why all the killing? Why is all the killing going on in the world? On the surface, I think it's pretty easy to say that it's one group of people that hates another group of people and believes that the world would be better off if that other group of people no longer existed. And so they say, let's have what they call a holy war and let's kill all the people who disagree with us. So in this case, Muslims think that Christians are infidels because that's what they're taught and that the world would be better off without them because they believe that they are are 
presenting a false religion and that their answer to that is to kill them because they disagree. But I think that there's another reason below the surface of all the killing. I think it's a real cause of it. And it's something that, it, that I, I want to have us think about us today. I think the other reason below the surface is this, that it's, there's a belief from within, that they have beliefs from within the kingdom that they function in. The kingdom or the authority structure, the value system they operate by believes that the way to get what you want is through dominance. That says something like this, I'm stronger than you, and so I will throw you from the boat, or I'll cut off your head, or I'll burn down your church, because I can, and I want my value system to be in control. It's in essence, my kingdom is fighting against your kingdom, and I think my kingdom is right, my kingdom is stronger, and so the values of my kingdom say I can destroy your kingdom. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just take what we're talking about. I want you to just file it in the back of your head for just a minute. And I'll grab your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Starting in verse 47. You there? It's while it says, while he and he here is Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time Jesus said to the crowd, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the prophecies of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. The story of Jesus being betrayed by Judas and arrested by a mob sent from the Jewish leaders who were opposed to Jesus. A story so not, not so much different than the stories of the Islamic extremists killing Christians today that we started off talking about in the beginning of the sermon. One group of people hates the other group of people because they disagree with them, so their solution is to kill them. But what I want us to notice here isn't the mob who arrests Jesus and eventually end up bringing, being part of, of killing him. No, I want us to notice Jesus in the story. Look at verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said, Put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, 
and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. You see, Jesus knew that his arrest would lead to his eventual death. But in the middle of this chaos, he stops one of his disciples who took out a sword to fight back, and that probably was Peter, and reminds them that if he wanted, he could at that very instant have 72,000 angels fighting for him. He said 12 legions, a legion 6,000. He could have had 72,000 angels standing around him and fight for him. But we look at Jesus and we see something very peculiar, something that doesn't make a lot of sense. He doesn't fight. He doesn't encourage his followers to fight. He doesn't call on the angels to destroy those who oppose him. And I might look at that, and you might look at that and scratch my head and say, why? There's a reason for it. Because he lives and operates by the principles of a different kingdom. The reason I want to point this out today is for each of us to ask ourselves an honest question. What kingdom principles do I really live according to in my day-to-day life? Am I living solidly in God's kingdom and by his teachings and principles, or am I living by the principles of the kingdom of the world that exists around me? You may say, well, it's easy. I live by God's kingdom. You say it may be easy to say that, to answer that, when we are thinking about Muslim extremists. Because you say this in your mind. You say, well, I'm nothing like them. They kill innocent people in the name of their religion, and I would never do that. And maybe it's easy to answer that question when we think about the Jewish religious leaders who paid somebody off to betray his Savior and, and hired a mob and said, go get Jesus, because we say we're nothing like them. They killed Jesus simply because he was a threat to them, threat to their jobs, a threat to their position in the, under Roman control, and they didn't want to lose what they had. And you say this, well, I'd never be like that. But what about comparing ourselves to Peter in the story? I think we could preach sermons about Peter and say, he's our hero. He risks his life to defend his Savior, takes out his sword. He fights injustice, and it was injustice. He's standing by the side of Jesus at that very moment when the mob's going to attack him, fearlessly defying, defying, uh, fighting against the, the mob that's coming. What about Peter? Well, the truth be told that at that very instant, at that time, in that chaos of that night, he was operating under the exact same kingdom and the kingdom principles of all the rest that we just talked about. Basically a philosophy that says this, might makes right. We kind of look at it like this in our world, that in our own strength, we rise up and we defeat our enemies, that in our own strength we accomplish and we achieve, and we connive, and we conquer, it's the principle that we apply to much of our lives, much of our personal lives, our relationship lives, our our business lives. But when we look at the story, we see something. Jesus is different. He knew there was a greater plan. He knew the scriptures were being fulfilled by his very own death. He knew that he had come to establish a new kingdom. Not a kingdom based on human or even the devil's authority, 
but one where he was the king and his followers acted like him, not like those in the kingdom of the world. So Jesus establishes a kingdom that is totally different than the kingdom of the world. Where the kingdom of the, of the, of the world's kingdom operates by might and by strength, we say things like this, might makes right. Take what you can get. Survival of the fittest. All the kinds of things we say honestly about how we operate our lives very often in the, king, in the kingdom of the world, Jesus' kingdom operates differently. His kingdom operates by love, by willing the best for other people. Jesus says crazy things as king of his kingdom. Things like this. He said, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's talking about a kingdom principle of this world. The same kingdom, kingdom principle why Muslims kill Christians and Christians want to kill them in return. He says, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. He says, but I say to you as king of the kingdom, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he causes his son to rise in the evil and the good. That's crazy talk. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may what? Look like your father, be like your father, operate according to the principles of your father and his kingdom. You may be sons of your father in heaven for he causes the sun, and it's S-U-N he's talking about there, the, the big ball of fire in the sky that provides for all of us. The sun to rise on the evil and the good. See, Jesus' kingdom operates completely different than the world's kingdom. The world's kingdom operates by human cunning and achievement. We're the best and the brightest set goals, and they achieve great things because of hard work, and I'm not against hard work, and I'm not against being best and bright. But they do it on their own. They become much like the people who are instructed by God to spread across the world after Noah's flood but decided instead to stop in one place. And with great ingenuity and hard work, they said, let's build a tower to God. And God sees this great accomplishment. And what's God do? He comes down and he destroys it. And he confuses their language and he scatters them around the world. Why? Because they were living in disobedience. They were living by kingdom principles that were contrary to the principles of the kingdom that he said they ought to live in. You see, Jesus' kingdom is different. In his kingdom, we operate by his wisdom and his power, not by the world's. So the Apostle Paul could say, I didn't minister with persuasive words of wisdom. In other words, with this great, cunning, human plan. But I ministered in the demonstration of the Spirit and power. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, there is an understanding that God's principles and God's wisdom are always the best. Even when we say, that's crazy talk. And simply because someone has a philosophy that seems nice or good or will accomplish what we think we might want to see accomplished, if it is in opposition to God's word and God's ways, it's always wrong. See, Jesus' kingdom operates completely different than the world's kingdom. In the world's kingdom, it's all about accumulation, getting, achieving. It's about accumulation of wealth and stuff 
So when a person has great wealth, it's just to be used for their own pleasure and their own enjoyment. I'll never forget a day standing underneath a, a mango tree at an orphanage in Cambodia. Talking to a fellow missionary, a friend of mine, about how things work. We are talking about missions at the time, but, but we were really talking about life. And he said to me something that, that I couldn't believe after it came out of his mouth, and he didn't even understand what he was saying, how, how wrong it was. He said, well, Mark, you know how it works. He says, you know the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. And he said it with complete confidence. He who has the gold. You've all heard that before. He, the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Here's a Christian missionary talking about how we should get things accomplished. And he says, well, Mark, you know the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. And he went on to explain to me why, why he was deciding on how they should handle a particular situation in a way that everybody else disagreed with. And he flat out said to, said to them, well, here's the deal. I'm the one funding it, so I'll do whatever I want. He said, Mark, he who has the gold makes the rules. I'm making the rules. I'm the one putting, the, putting the, the money into the situation. Although everybody else is putting effort and energy, but he happened to be from America. And over there, we had fat checkbooks in our back pocket. And we were working with Filipinos and, and uh, South Koreans and all kinds of other people who didn't have fat checkbooks in their pocket, but had left everything in Kim and were living a very low-income life there to try to bring the gospel. And he just says flat out, well, guess what? The golden rule says he who has the gold makes the rules, so I'm going to make the rules. Friends, what he didn't see was that he was operating by values of a wrong kingdom. He didn't even get it. He was saying, I've given my life to build God's, literally, physically build his kingdom, functioning in an orphanage. And he didn't even get, he was living by kingdom principles that were so far from God's kingdom, but he couldn't see it. You see, in God's kingdom, money isn't good or bad. It's just a tool to be managed for the glory of God. To be used to do good, to help the hurting, to feed the poor, to advance God's true kingdom. And to provide for us along the way. In the kingdom of God, we view money with a heart of self-sacrifice that asks, how can I do good with what God has entrusted to me? See, church, this is what I want you to get today. There are two kingdoms. They're both functioning in this world right now. One is actually led by Satan. That's what God says in his word. It's a kingdom of war and of conflict and of greed and of sin, and of self. That's the kingdom. It's a kingdom we're born into, every single one of us. And its value systems cling to us like mud clings to our boots. Its value systems are here. We're born into it, and it's on us. But there's another kingdom. It's a kingdom of God. And Jesus came proclaiming it. He said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, "It's, it's right here, right now. It's not the kind of kingdom they thought they were going to establish, but it was a spiritual kingdom, but it's just as real. Matter of fact, it's more real than any physical thing we have because it literally is the life and breath of God the Creator. And Jesus said it's right here and it's right now. It's a kingdom we enter into when Jesus becomes our King and our Savior. We actually enter into it. We, we, the doors open and we step a step into 
his kingdom. It's a kingdom of loving your enemies. Crazy talk. It's a kingdom of self-sacrifice. Crazy talk. It's a kingdom of telling the truth and helping the hurting. The kind of things that Jesus lived out every day, and we read he was like that in his word, but somehow we say, "What? that's crazy, it doesn't work like that. It's not the real world. Jesus said, yes, it is. It's the most real world. Place of loving your enemies and sacrificing self and putting other people as more important and telling the truth, even though one telling a lie might make it easier, and helping hurting people. Things that make, make no sense from the vantage point of the world's kingdom. It's the kingdom we enter into, but it takes time to begin to operate by its values and principles once you're a child of God. My hope today is simply this. It's to get us to think. To think about our value systems. Are we being transformed in our thinking away from the values of this world and into the values that Jesus reveals about his kingdom? Is there transformation? Is there change happening in your life? Is self-centeredness giving way to other-centeredness? Is there a change? Would somebody see it? Is hate for those who are different than you being replaced by love and and a valuing of others based on the reality that all people are created in the image of God? Is that transformation beginning to happen in us? Is forgiveness towards those who have offended us replacing stubborn, self-willed unforgiveness? Is a transformation happening? Is generosity replacing stinginess and hoarding? Are those transformations happening? Friends, this transformation happens as we intentionally dwell in the kingdom of God. We spend time with the king We abide in his teachings and learn from his life, not just as a Sunday morning fill the checklist of things I have to do to somehow please God. You don't please God by coming to church. We come into his presence to be changed. You don't get up early in the morning and spend devotion time to check off a list. If you do that, you're probably wasting your time. You do to spend time in the kingdom with the king and let him change you. We spend time with the king, abiding in his teachings and learning from his life. We change as we yield to the indwelling spirit and ask the spirit to replace our inherited values, that mud that clings to our boots, to replace it with the divine values of his kingdom. You see, it's not about self-effort. It's about putting ourselves into a position where we're spending time with the king of the kingdom and spending time with his teaching and his people and his word in such a way and in worship that it begins to change us and he begins to, by the Spirit's power, actually wipe the mud off our boots. The things that cling to us. We are transformed as we linger in his presence through prayer and through meditation and through solitude. We just get along with God. We're changed as we spend time in worship And in serving, that's not just alone with God. It's with God's people together. We change. We changed our kingdom values yesterday by taking time when when we could have done a hundred other things and walking down bike paths and along creeks and along lake shores and picking up other people's trash. It makes no sense. Why would you do it? We got nothing out of it. We were being changed. That's why. God was changing us and saying, 
think about other people. Value my creation. Other-centeredness. Crazy thinking. But it's the kind of thinking that takes place in us. Transformation. And here's what I want you to understand about the transformation that God wants to take place in all of us. Transformation that never stops, that's always ongoing, that we never achieve, arrive, but we get, we get more and more like Jesus and it's wonderful when we actually begin to, maybe when others start to see it and we begin to feel it. Here's what I know about the transformation. It never happens by accident. It doesn't occur unintentionally. You don't become more like the king of the kingdom by all of a sudden, you just kind of like you fall off an apple cart one day and, oh, I'm more like Jesus. No, you, you're born with, with mud on your feet. You're born into the other kingdom. And you come into the kingdom of God, but there's a transformation process that happens. And it never happens unintentionally. Author James Bryant Smith says it like this. He says, transformation occurs as we pickle in the kingdom. You know, you know how you make a pickle? Pickle's a cucumber. Did you know that? I talked to a guy one time about buying pickle seeds. I didn't realize there was no such thing as pickle seeds. They're cucumber seeds. You plant cucumbers. Some of you are, some of you are laughing because you know this. Some of you are going, what's he talking about? You didn't know this. A pickle is a small cucumber. And you harvest it when it's young if you want a small pickle. And you put it in a brine. I'm not sure what's all in that brine, but you put it in a brine. My dad used to make crock pickles. You got crock pickle and cucumbers in there and a bunch of dill on top and a plate on top of it down in the basement, and he'd make pickles. And they soak for a long time. You put the pickle, you put the cucumber in the pickle brine, and you let it sit. If you take the cucumber and you, you dunk it into the pickle brine and you pull it out, and you say, I got a pickle now. You don't have a pickle now. You just got a vinegary-tasting cucumber. (laughs) The cucumber has to stay in the pickle brine for a long time, and as it's in the brine for a while, a long time, it begins to affect the cucumber. And it turns the cucumber into a pickle because it was pickling in that. It was sitting in there. It was absorbing it and becoming like it. Friends, we pickle in the kingdom as we spend time mulling over kingdom ideas. The whole genesis of this sermon came because I've been asking myself forever, and I'm not even going to go there for an explanation because I don't have an answer. I'm trying to say, what's the, what's the response, God, to what's going on with my brothers and sisters being killed around the world? I can turn Fox News on and they'll tell me what to do, but here's, you know, tell me you're going to hate what I say. We are way more Republican than we are Christian. In the evangelical church. So some of you are more Democrat than you are Christian. I'm saying this. It's neither. Easy solution. Just bomb them. Because I've been reading and I'm going, God, it doesn't sound like you. You're saying, put your sword away, Peter. And I'm wrestling with it. You know how you pickle in the kingdom? You spend time mulling over kingdom ideas and say, God, what do you say about this topic? I don't have an answer for it. I spend time with other believers talking about it. I don't have an answer. I know the easy answer is not the real answer because that's what's going on all around the world. This group doesn't like this group, so we kill you. Well, we didn't like what you did, so we kill you in return. I, that can't be the answer. How do I become more like the king of the kingdom? How do I adopt kingdom principles? I pickle in it. We spend time mulling over kingdom ideas. We spend time being with the king, and we allow ourselves to change over long 
time to change our long-held values. Listen to me, especially some of you men, because I'm one of you. We take pride somehow in saying, I'm just like I was 20 years ago. You understand it's the dumbest thing you could ever say about yourself? It's just flat out dumb. It's saying you're not changing. If you still have the exact same values you had 20 years ago, you're not growing at all. If you're taking pride in the fact you're not changing, I'm telling you, you're saying that I'm not, I'm not pickling in the kingdom at all. You're just holding to a value system that you think was right. Guess what? There's all kinds of things I thought was right when I was 20. They're not. We had a good conversation driving down to a family event yesterday, and we were talking about Josh tickling Sam. Sam's like, he won't ever stop tickling me. And I'm like, Josh, stop tickling your wife. Because I think Sam bit him to make him stop the other day, right? And so I'm saying, Josh, stop tickling your wife all the time. You're irritating her. And Suzanne goes, "Uh, your dad did that all the time to me. And I said, and I said, I said, yeah, maybe 24 years ago. And she goes, we've been married for 26 years and been together for like 28. So Josh said, I still got a year and a half. (laughs) And so, but here's the deal. Where was I going with that? It has something to do with, uh, what was I talking about? (laughs) Long held values, is that what it was? We got to change. What I believed when I was brand new married at 25 years old, I thought it was funny to tickle my wife till she cried. I thought it was funny, and so did a bunch of you. Now I realize I've been married for a long time, and i got a phenomenal wife that I would die for, and I'd never tickle her till she'd cry. I've changed. Suzanne says, praise the Lord. <laughs> if you're the same as you were 20 years ago, God has something infinitely better for you. If you're still acting like the value, by the value system that you had when you're 18 or 25 or 40 and now you're 60 or 70, God has something better for you. We spend time being with the king and we allow ourselves to change. We challenge our long-held values and beliefs that don't line up with Jesus' ways. We also give grace to people who haven't changed yet. We understand, you know what, I didn't yell at Josh. I'm just like, Josh, don't do that, because it's so clear to me now. But 25 years ago, it wasn't clear to me at all. Because I'm just like, well, this is fun, you know. So we have grace with people along the way. We're all at different stages, and that's fine. We don't have the pickling police who come and value, evaluate your, your level of pickling in the kingdom. It's not my job. But your job is to evaluate and ask yourselves if you're still the same person you were a year ago and five years ago and ten years ago since you entered the kingdom, how much mud has been wiped off your boots by the Holy Spirit. Remember, you partner with him, though. He usually is the one who just, he hands you the rag and he shows you how to do it. He gives you the strength to do it. We spend time being with the king and we allow ourselves to to be challenged our long-held values and beliefs that don't line up with Jesus' way. The reason I began our time together with such a difficult and challenging topic today, as I wrap this up on, the topic of Christian persecution was not at all to be political. 
Matter of fact, I had our, told our group on Wednesday night to pray for me because I wanted to do this, and I was afraid that all people would do was unplug their brains and go to a political solution. Well, let's do this. That's not at all. I want to talk about that. The reason I began with our time together with such a difficult and challenging topic as Christian persecution is simply to get us to ask by using a very hot topic, is my response more like the world's or like Jesus's? To ask myself, how would I react to that? And how would I react? Is that line up more with love or domination? More like the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? And not just for this area. I just want to stir your spirits up. So you begin to ask that in all areas of your life. Get us to ask this about everything. And we say this, what kingdom am I really living in? That when we sign something that's a hot button and it pushes us and we react a certain way and we say, does that really line up? And we say, we'll say this, God, I'm not lining up and you will always find that because none of us has arrived. And then you say, Holy Spirit, I want to change. I want to, I want to pickle. I want to be transformed. I want to be more in your kingdom, God, so I'm transformed more by you. Because my hope for us is that we are becoming a faith community that reflects and reveals the true Jesus to the world around us. The true Jesus. Who he really is, represented by God himself through his word. The true Jesus. Because that's what would transform people in this messed up world around us. Originally when I was thinking about that, I actually wrote in my notes, that's what will, that's what will transform this messed up world. But guess what? That's not true. I had to put a little carrot and a couple more words in there. Because nothing's going to transform this messed up world. But that's what will transform the people in this messed up world. Because the world's messed up, it's never going to change. It's going to get worse and worse, not better and better. But people can be transformed as they go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Satan to the, and, and self to the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And only that will lead you to joy and contentment in this world. Only that will lead you to joy and contentment. You can try to live by the world principles all day long and they're going to define for you what will make you happy and it won't happen. Now, I don't know anything about the, the um, circumstances behind this, but I was thinking of this, this idea and, and Suzanne was looking through some stuff on the internet and she said, oh, one of the kids who was on a sitcom, everybody loved Raymond, one of the little kids, committed suicide this week, 19 years old. And I thought, here's why. I don't know the real details, but here's why. If you live and you believe that the things the kingdom of the world says are true, and then you get them all, and you find out it's still empty, you're hopeless. The kingdom of the world presents a picture. If you just have enough stuff, you have enough fame, you have enough pleasure, you'll be, you'll be happy. Well, find, you find out you get all that and you're not happy. You're not joyous. You're not content. Because God's of a different kingdom. He says the way you find it is you find it through giving yourself away, through loving. You know what made me really happy yesterday? I found $20. And I, within a minute, thought, I don't need this $20. And I, I gave it to somebody else who I knew could actually use it while walking on the bike path. I'm not trying to do this at all. Not for one second. I didn't need it. But it made me happy to give it away. It made me happy. I mean, I literally was happy. Because I gave it away. Those are kingdom principles. I'll, 
hoarding it wouldn't have made me happy. But giving it away brought me joy. God's saying, listen, you got a pickle in my kingdom. Become like one of my one of the, the people of my kingdom. Not just on, not just walk in the door, but literally get the mud washed off your boots and get transformed, so that you begin to experience the joy of the kingdom. But that only happens if you spend time with the King. It only happens that way. He begins to transform you. Let's not settle for entering God's kingdom, but not becoming like the King. This week, what I hope you will do is you'll spend time with our King Jesus. Not to check off some religious duty, obligation, did that, got it done, move on to the next, to what's really important. You'll recognize what's really important is pickling in the kingdom. Spending time with Jesus. To enjoy being in his presence. To sit for a period of time, with some, spend some extravagant time with Jesus this week in his presence and allow him to transform you by his love. And when something comes up in your mind that you say, you know what, this thought, does that really line up with the kingdom thought? And you say, I'm not sure, take it to the king. And begin to compare it to how Jesus lived and acted. If you want to know the perfect representation on how you ought to live in this world, you look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of the Father. He is the fullness of the Lord in flesh, walking on earth. That's the perfect life lived. That's the ultimate joy is Jesus. Don't think we're smarter than Jesus and do something another way. Do it Jesus' way. It brings real life. He promises life abundantly. Kingdom principles of the world won't give you that. So spend time pickling with Jesus this week. We're going to end our time together by singing a prayer. We're going to sing this worship song. So I invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to pray. And then the worship team is going to begin to play. And this very first song is, I said, Suzanne, pick out a song that will be like a, a prayer. I told her what I was preaching on. I said, just a song that would be a, a prayer saying, God, Holy Spirit, I want you. I want you. And the worship team is going to continue to sing for a while. And you're welcome just to stay in worship. You want to spend some time coming around the front and, and praying come and do that. You need prayer this morning myself. I'll be down here. I'll gladly pray with anybody. But let's just spend some time just praying to the Lord and saying, God, I'm all in. Then this week, this week, say, God, I want a pickle in your kingdom. So Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you're right here right now. That God, you offer us this incredible gift. That when we come into your kingdom through salvation, we come to know that we're lost and that we cry out to you and you, you reach down and you grab us. You've been chasing us all along and, and we say, God, I need you to forgive me and you forgive us and you make us clean and brand new and you bring us into your kingdom. And God, sometimes it feels like, I think most of the time, that we live with one world and one foot in each kingdom. We want to come together on Sunday morning, we want to worship, but the rest of the week we really live by kingdom, by kingdom of the world principles. How do I just dominate, get ahead, make more, push people down, get ahead? Lord, we don't want to be like that. We want the joy of being in your kingdom. The fullness of being in your kingdom. And so God, we know that only happens from just being with you. So God, we want to just Sing this song now as a prayer, inviting you into our world.